Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. This week, we have a deep and thought-provoking episode with Siri Lindley. The world champion talks to us about how to create the life you want for yourself and how to chase dreams that seem impossible. Even how to turn something like living through leukemia into a positive in your life. First, before all that, we have some quick news. Today is my last day at Triathlete Magazine, and so we'll have one more short episode for you next week, and then we'll be taking a break in August. But don't worry, we hope to be back with some Triathlete Hour episodes after that break. And to get us started, Sid joins me for one more Sid Talks, where we dissect all things Commonwealth Games, two-day Kona, and women's sports news. All right, Sid, uh, we're here for kind of our last little chat, our last Sid Talks before I am out leaving triathlete. And then we're going to take a little break for August and And hopefully be back. You didn't warn me. I should have brought my tissues. Like this is the the big news of the sport at the (laughs) The moment. This is emotional for us. We're going to win. I I enjoy our little chats. I'll just text you now all my yeah, all our thoughts gossip. about well maybe all our maybe we should record the like 30 minutes that we spend before we actually press record on this podcast and then publish that to everybody <laughs> you could just tell me everyone who has COVID yeah. and is it safe yeah, yes. that's right <laughs> just assume it's every pro, every pro that's fine. been to a big race currently <laughs> or recently has COVID has COVID yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, I do actually. One of my dreams, and now everyone's going to know, is to write an anonymous try gossip column. Yeah, so. I think that'd be good. Yeah, yeah. But, but no, now everyone's going to know. Yeah, it's this me. is true. Yeah, try. I'll just put your name. So the, the anonymous, not so anonymous, but it's by Laura. It's by Sid. Sid talks. <laughs> just call it Sid talks. Then it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So we are going to we are going to be back after an August break here, yeah. kind of in a different form. We'll figure it out. Uh, we do have one more episode next week, just an interview, but we're going to get all the Sid breakdown of everything <laughs> before we go. And so first up is the Commonwealth Games for this past weekend, and you actually figured out how to watch them in the US. Uh, I did not. Yeah, I did learn how to watch it, but apparently I'm not allowed to publicly say how I watched it because that offends people streaming. Um, I'm going to I watched it on BBC iPlayer. I'm British. I have a TV license in the UK. <laughs> Um, yeah, you have a v- oh, see, I, really, I would have yeah, needed a VPN, yeah. and I, I'm like, oh, um, yeah. but I did for the craziness. I got up at four a.m. on Saturday to watch the men's race. Um, I no, on Friday wasn't it? It was on Friday. I wasn't. Friday, yeah, yeah, I wasn't able to watch the women's because I was swimming, but then did catch up with it on replay, and then I got up on. I watched the Sunday. yeah Sunday. Watched the para or some of the para, and then I had to leave and then came back, yeah, and watched the rest of the para athletes, the visually impaired, it was at the Commonwealth Games, and then the mixed team relay. It was good. Big question is, did Hayden Wild deserve his 10-second penalty? So... And also, what was it for? No, yeah, I yeah, actually finally yeah. figured out what it was for, but I didn't know. Interestingly, so whilst I was watching the race at 4am, I was texting with a couple of Kiwi friends... And they were obviously watching mm. it. They're in Spain um, and I was watching it here and they were like, Hayden's got a yellow card next to his name. And I hadn't noticed it. And I was like, has he? And we're trying to find it out. And then came through on the BBC. It's like, yes, he's got a penalty. Apparently he um, touched his helmet or didn't take his helmet off. And then we saw the footage and I was like, oh, that's quite dubious. Like, it, you know, it's he did. 
He did. Um, so he like he like because he like went to unbuckle it before the bike was technically yes. fully stocked, but it was already racked. Yes. Well, so it, it was, was kind like of a little... as it was as he was racking it, he was undoing like touching Unclipping, the helmet. Unclipping. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's quite dubious. Not sure whether it is or isn't. The Kiwi pair came back and went, oh yeah, that's he's touched his helmet. That's a penalty. Oh god. And like we're really upset. So they were like, it's definitely a penalty. But they race much more. They do, you know, exterior, so it's much more like world triathlon rules. So it's a lot stricter. So perhaps mm. they're like, they know that that's the that's the case. Like I know there's a protest in. There is, and and then in like okay, so all this stuff to be yeah. like whether or not you think it is yeah. or isn't. Like there's an argument to be made that we constantly are like shooting ourselves in the yeah. foot with the most finicky, yes. stupid rules that like make yes. things unexciting. So then in other fashion, he now has 30 days to appeal, and he may or may not, and he's appealing and asking to be like double awarded yeah, the gold. so that could happen for up to 30 yeah. days which is like it's, what? i know it's what? crazy like what? i think the moments pass like i i really feel sorry for him i think he is the way he spoke in his interview after the race he is obviously he is a really um he spoke really well he's very humble he said he doesn't want to take anything away from alex Yi, but in the, the the result of the protest they want is like a double gold medal kind of thing which I don't know. It's kind of like the moment's gone now. Like Alex has had his go, and I and I know they said it changed the way he raced, but Alex ran a phenomenal phenomenal leg. I didn't think Alex was going to catch Hayden. Like they are both amazing runners, and they had he had sixteen seconds, and you're like, no, Alex cannot bring that down, and he did, and he caught him before, like within I don't know the last k, and okay. Hayden said it changed the way they race, but surely if he knew he had a penalty, he would have to push harder to make sure he had a bigger gap for that 10 seconds. Now, what it did do, and this is what your point is, it did rob us of what potentially was an incredible sprint finish. An exciting sprint finish, yeah. But, you know, and I don't, I think I probably agree, yeah, we are ruining our sport with finickety rules. uh, But... The flip side of that, Edmonton didn't have any rules, and then we, that was ruined, and that was rules. ruined as well, kind of thing. But um, no, but you know, and Hayden, like you could see as he came into the finish shoot, it was a true gesture. Gesture. He congratulated yeah, he, like, Alex. Um, yeah. He pulled off to the side, and and Alex. I mean, I think, I think Alex would have won anyway because he had he'd caught him. Mm-hmm. But you know, you don't know because it does affect someone when they see they got a penalty. And Hayden had a phenomenal race, like second out of the water like he put a gap onto Alex and the rest of the field in the swim and then the three of them rode away on the bike and um the other English boys like absolutely buried themselves full credit teamwork to them to make sure that Alex had the least amount of deficit when they started the run um right but yeah so yeah I mean who knows we'll see what happens but the rest I mean the podium itself I think we predicted or I sort of read a few predictions yeah, yeah, that I think the podium been been similar. yeah I think the big question here for everyone watching is always kind of like, what is going on with what? Like, I mean, you saw a few weeks ago when like Flora Duffy got the 10 second penalty for like her goggles fell yeah. outside the box. Right? These are the things where like as age group athletes, you're like, what? Yeah. Like, what? what is yeah. this? This is crazy. And you saw like, so. I don't know, it, for people who did watch going back to Edmonton, you watched, um, if you watched the coverage, you saw Alistair Brownlee slight, didn't quite dismount before the line. And, but his bike was right his bike rack was right just over the line and all he did was like he got off the bike he knew he'd gone over so he rolled his bike back over the line and then came back again 
um okay. which is quite amusing with a sort of quite a smile on his face because he knew sort of what he'd done and we're like I'm not sure if that's a rule or not but I have seen it done in other races before and but then yeah so like, hmm, I don't know we hmm. need probably a it's fine yeah. triathlon just make up the rules as it you is go. What? yeah yeah it yeah is. and then the women's race I mean again like if it I think we all knew it was going to be Flora Duffy and Georgia Taylor Brown I think that sort of just is what it is at this point yeah yeah I mean I think we probably knew Flora was going to win. Um, I I did hear that f- um, that George Taylor Brown wasn't feeling great that day. Um, That's what I heard too. Yeah, she probably has COVID. Probably has COVID. Everyone I think COVID. everyone did. And it, so that <laughs> again, it was unfortunate if that was the case because I think those two could have probably run side by side for a bit longer. But yeah. Flora got the the mark sort of thing out of transition um, on the run and was pretty much away and with then, it. And just ran yeah. away. Yeah. Um, and. Then uh, Beth Potter was had a, a great race and run to finish finish third for Scotland. So yeah, it is very funny to the rest of us, obviously, that um, nobody wants to be part of England. No. It's like England versus the rest of the world, Northern Ireland and Scotland and yeah. Wales and the Island of Man and Jersey and, and, and Gu- Jersey and Guernsey and, and everybody. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> we yeah. we we talk about you know it's the commonwealth games and you know it's this friendly games but ultimately the, there's a lot of history with the commonwealth and there's so a lot of resentment in places is that we all hate england yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yes yeah. pretty much we even have my husband's irish we even have a thing on our fridge that says i'll support it's yeah. the classic Keep i'll support anyone who's playing england it's that sort of thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 so yeah. yeah uh so, but England, obvi- I mean, it was their home games. They did yeah. dominate quite a lot. Yeah. They obviously won the men's, got second in the women's, won both the Paratri VI races. There was only VI. There was only VI in Paratri this year, um, but it was great to see them. They went on the same day as the relay. Um, Dave Ellis won the men's, which was just so mm-hmm. good to see. And his partner, Claire Cashmore, who is also a para triathlete, um, she was commentating and she was getting emotional because a little bit of backstory, Dave Ellis and his guide, Luke Pollard, they had a mechanical in Tokyo when they were clear Mm -hmm. favorites, they'd been absolutely flying in training. And so, and it was just absolutely gutting. It was so heartbreaking to see that happen in Tokyo. And so for them to get through the race, I've got goosebumps now at the Commonwealth games and to, to win was amazing. And actually one of the other English boys got, a flat tire so they, you could see like the hurt going through the team and like they've been there before and then on the women's side um it was super amazing because the winner was katie Co- cowhurst crowhurst sorry who is 18 years old she only started the sport she's a, she comes from a swimming background she only started triathlon last year i in fact was her guide for her very first triathlon oh, nice. race um she led me out the water i'm gonna say that she, it was the first it's the first and only race that i'm gonna be first out the water i, I mentioned i asked like debor my the wetsuit i was like do i get a bonus for that first out the water and they're like no no, no, no. <laughs> um and she's like yeah and so she's brand new into the sport and then she's you know a year later she's commonwealth games champion which was just incredible to see so that was super exciting um and then we had the mixed team relay. And then England and then, won the relay. Yeah. yeah see. And that was, I mean, they, they pretty much ran away with it. They, they were, they, they sort of bit. had a lead from the start. It was really good. It went male, female, male, female. 
So Alex, right? Yeah. So it's going to do that now through 2024 yeah. Olympics, so that the women yeah, have a chance. Which I to think finish. is great. I really like that. Yeah. Um, what was interestingly it, interesting was Alex. You went on the first leg against Hayden Wild again, and but ran mm, away from it. Hayden. Like ran away from everyone well, else. There's actually like this like you, picture. <laughs> I don't know if you see this picture where Hayden's ahead of him out of yeah. transition, and he has this look on yeah. his face that's just like. I will He's like, <laughs> I'm going to prove that I deserve that gold medal in the individual because I'm going to catch you. Um, but it was cool to see it. I, I liked the male-female format and England then with Sophie Coldwell and um, and then Georgia Taylor-Brown came in to finish. And then Wales And that was second. amazing. That was awesome. With non-standard closing. Yeah, which is great because it's probably, mm-hmm. I think it's her last year racing her last major, major games, games yeah, yeah. Calling it. and uh-huh. i think just like yeah she's had a rough couple of years so it was fantastic to see her come back and you've got um olivia matthias who's alex yee's girlfriend and she races for she was racing for wales and she's a great job see this is the kind of useful yeah. information you're going to get in our exactly yeah who's dating the who? other yeah. um the other thing was that not uh, not non sorry um which was interesting georgia taylor brown opted to swim without a wetsuit like it's only a three i was wondering why some people didn't have one so and some it people was, did it seemed like it was it like was kind wetsuit of optional so the temperature for the whole lake was mm. wetsuit optional so in that case most of the pros are going to wear a wetsuit i'm not sure right. it was always like in the individual events it was those athletes that are from those lesser known countries for triathlon um that were without the wetsuit so that might be a Maybe they're just not, don't have as much experience. They don't, they don't have, have one, one or they yeah. don't have as much experience in wearing one. But right. in the mixed team relay, I mean, it's so short. It's a 300 meter swim. And yeah. a, it was what, 5K bike and a 2K run. It was super short distances this time or slightly odd to normal. And everyone wore a wetsuit bar George Taylor Brown. And she mm. still put four seconds into the three swimmers who were swimming together with wetsuits behind her. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. See? Interesting. All this knowledge. All this knowledge is amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. It was good, though. I mean, the Commonwealth Games, one of the things that's interesting for sure is that you get do get to see people. It's often like the first big win yeah. for some people who then go on to win it's the Olympics or win stone. major world titles. And you also then also see some of these countries that don't yet have places at the World Triathlon Championship level or at the Olympic Games. You know, so we see the athletes from India and Trinidad Tobago and Mauritius um, and Ghana who like haven't they don't have the points or anything yet to be at the World Tri level. So they're like earning spots up, which is also like nice to see. So it's like it's kind of like a mini Olympic Games. And they did and they did and they weren't getting lapped out. So normally in in triathlon at WTS right. if you get caught on the bike and you're a lap behind you you, get lapped you know you, you you don't finish you get pulled off and the beauty of the Commonwealth Games if you look at it from that side is that everyone's allowed to finish you know and it's the the guys that were coming in and some of them you know they're half an hour after Flora Duffy mm-hmm. as number one but they've got an opportunity to stand next to number one in the world and right. race with them and they get they finish and they still got a massive massive cheer and stuff and they still were representing their country which is it's pretty cool. I actually remember the first time way back when Flora Duffy was just like a middle of the pack world triathlon racer. I remember reading something about the development program in world triathlon and how it was and how like it would help athletes like Bermuda's <laughs> Flora Duffy from smaller nations be able to work their way up and I was like oh that's a yeah. good point and now see now there look at go. maybe that that's there the success go. shining there through. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Um, but we had the Commonwealth Games. Very exciting. There was a lot of uh, uh, a lot of sports. A lot of sports. Yesterday, this yesterday was mental. I was exhausted. <laughs> like I had a. I did a, a swim event here in Boulder, open water swim, and we'd got up at crack of dawn to get down there. But the rest of the day I spent literally catching up on watching all the triathlon. And then we went on to the European women's football final, the, the, which England were playing Germany, which is a massive rivalry. And that was emotional. And then there was like the Tour de France Femme, then all the other sports in the Commonwealth Games as well. I was a Vex Swift. Swift, sorry, Tour de France Femme, a Vex Swift. I need to give them the whole credit. <laughs> Um, I was exhausted by the end of the day and I hadn't really trained myself, but I was just like, I'm drained, but this is amazing. It was so momentous for not like, yes, women's sport, massive, but for sport in general. Um, but the women's sport, like, and for, I know this is a predominantly probably American viewership listener base, but England women winning the European football final in Wembley, which is in London. It's our main, like our big football stadium. It had record-breaking crowd in the stadium for men or women's European football mm-hmm. final. It was incredible and the scenes and what that has done, hopefully, I, I hope in just putting women's sport up there again, or not that up there again, but just that, that momentum and right. showcasing that this is legit and we need to be on a level playing field and... It, it was amazing. It was absolutely, and the the I mean the pages the, um, of the newspaper today is just like women's sport, women's sport, women's sport, and you just don't mm-hmm. get that ever. The uh, Tour de France Femmes, the numbers have also yeah. been crazy. And now, granted, it's still like it's still much smaller. It's still an eight day event yeah. versus a three week event. There's still like just government season pay and all that stuff we can talk about. But I mean, I know the numbers from my coworkers and the traffic they're getting, and it's there, right? Which goes back to this whole thing of like. Oof. I mean, one of the things I've actually sort of been hating, and I'm just going to say this, on the social medias is this attitude about, like, you should watch the Women's Tour de France because it's important. Because it's, like, you need to for... No, 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 you should watch it because it's, like, exciting. And it's, like, really good sports. And this isn't, like, an eat-your-vegetable situation. This is, like, this is really good. And don't compare it to the men's sport because it's different and the women race differently. Like, and, yeah, I mean, the, the, like you said, the coverage, the... The media from the Tour de France Femme avec Zwift has been has been <laughs> crazy, and the fact, like, yeah. because it, you know, it was eight days, but the first few days were, you know, it finished in the mountains, so it finished on two mm-hmm. mountain stages. So the favorite to win, Annemiek van Vleuten, was like not quite nowhere, but it was nowhere at the beginning because it didn't really suit her, right. and she was a bit sick, I heard. But then suddenly obliterates probably a COVID probably. Most of the other people did, yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, like, obliterates everyone in the mountains. And then right. the scenes at the end that was just, like, again, people just destroyed with the effort. But, like, just the gratitude for the women of saying, like, this has been amazing. I'm, like, so proud to... There was an interview of... Um, and I can't remember her name, but it was just, uh, the Danish Danish girl who won... Um, Oh, who won, like, the second stage of the Yeah, and she was just, like, bawling her eyes out at how... Uh, how much it meant to her and her team and and she did a great interview because her first sentence held about five swear words in it which I was like that is what I would do (laughs) (laughs) she'd say she said yesterday was effing this that and the other and today was much better (laughs) it was brilliant (laughs) 
But yeah, it's just it is also just I mean, yeah, it's been really good racing. It's been really yeah. good sports. When you put it on TV and you create the platform, there is the audience. When you build up the infrastructure, there is That's the audience. The people, people will, will care it. about what you tell yeah. them to care about. Yeah. yeah, people will watch it. People will watch it. They want to uh, watch it. But it's just because it's not been shown before. And then, you know, the level is going to get better and the standards going to get higher. If you show it like people are going to people are going to watch it. It's just because it's not been shown before that people haven't had that opportunity. And then now we're going to get the brands are going to see the value. The media is going to see the value. Like the standard at the, the women's football, the European football was incredible. It was amazing. Um, and I hope that that kind of then transcends and like the standards only going to get better. Mm-hmm. And the same with the, there, were, there was an interesting comment. Sorry, I'm going off again now <laughs> that about the Tour de France femme avec Zwift. I did see one media outlet saying, there are so many crashes. Oh, I saw and that. Yeah, yeah. The women clearly aren't capable yet of riding riding at all. And I'm like, and then there was a good there was, there was some good responses along the lines of, "Have you seen how many crashes yeah, happen yeah, in yeah. the first few days of the men's race?" It's like it's because everyone's flipping nervous as and anxious, and you're riding on like the biggest stage. And I saw one yeah. of the. Comment- female commentators repost uh, one of the pictures of the massive pile up in the men's race and say, when the men do the cycling, they clearly are not prepared yet for <laughs> That's it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I didn't see that as well. <laughs> it's funny. I know what this yeah. making me think of, Sid. Brings us to the big news last <laughs> week, which was Iron Man is committed to extending Kona to a two-day race for 2023 in I know. Hawaii. And yeah. they're going fully women on Thursday, men on Saturday. Again. And I almost, I have to tell you, so I got like a, I don't know, 12-hour heads up on the news, and I almost put on the headline, two equal days, men and women. And then I did the math, and it was like sort of about equal, like almost about the same number of spots. And that doesn't like Maybe quite fit in the headline. Approximately <laughs> yeah. equal. So... <laughs> Kind of two equal days-ish, maybe somehow, if we do the math. Because it's like going to be, by my math, probably like 1,900 women and about 2,300 men, like give or take-ish. Yeah. But it's yeah. still a big, big difference. It Huge. is. And so the, the difference is that they're adding more um, slots to the women, yeah. spots for women to get, to encourage, encourage, I'm going to say encourage more women to, right. to, to, to enter Kona, to pay the money. I mean, obviously it's like, you could be super cynical here, right? And say, like, yeah. obviously, uh, Iron Man's a business. We all know that. Kona yeah. is the moneymaker. As they expanded so rapidly around the world, they needed Kona spots at all of those new races because they built totally. the Kona dream as their financial funnel. Yeah. And they didn't have enough spots on the pier to keep adding spots yeah. around the world. Like, that was their problem. So they need the yeah. two-day. Now, if you want to be, like, not cynical, you could be like, well, we also are going to build up an entire Women's Day of Racing, add spots at specific races and do what we did for the 70.3 worlds, which has really then elevated the women's racing elevated like the women in the sport on that side, given more spots and more coverage to everyone could be good. I think, yeah. I mean, I I think there's, you can argue both ways. Like there's a lot of people saying, Oh, you know, Kona, it should be about the quality, not the quantity. I also think we probably need to give a little bit of a push and a help to get more female involved and show that they can achieve and they can can race. And so maybe this is the way to do it. Um, I would have liked to see the day. So I'm torn as well. I, I think I would have liked to seen the days swapped over this time. I think I'd have liked to seen the men race on the Thursday and the women given the top spot on the Saturday, because let's face it. The, the top spot is still still seem to be the Saturday. It's a weekend. Mm-hmm. That's when everyone's going to be watching. And it's a shame that they haven't 
alternated the days this year. Uh, sorry for 2023. Um, on actually, I heard a pod, another podcast where they were saying that they think all the age groupers should race on Thursday nice. and the pro race should just be on Saturday. And then you can have enough separation between the men and the women that they get their own race. But well, then you obviously not going to solve any clears, but that's not going to, that's going to solve any yeah. of the peer problems. So that's not going to happen. Uh, but I did quite like that idea. Um, and I can't remember. I've now lost my thread. I, mean, I think I was going I, with that. if we can see, Oh yeah, no, that was it. I was, yeah, sorry. I was going to say, I do think we should have switched and had the women mm-hmm. on the Saturday Having said that, if I'm racing as well, I do like the fact that if I've raced on Thursday, I can watch nice. on the Saturday. Whereas the other way, but then the other way around, you know, like the women will go and watch the men, but the men aren't going to be out watching the women on Saturday on the Thursday because they they've got they their race in it. two days time and it's Kona. It's just you you're exhausted you from watching because no, it's no. so hot. You can't do that. So that's another reason I do think they should they should be switching it each year. They should rotate. Which I got to tell they you, one rotate. time way back when this was still a thing in seventy point three worlds, and there was I remember talking to like the race director and saying why aren't you guys rotating and it had literally never occurred to them they were like oh we haven't had people ask about that and i was like what you haven't had people ask about that like that seems obvious I know, to I mean, me. and and that's the thing like i do i give them the benefit of the doubt of going like maybe that's just never a consideration but and then right. like why why wouldn't it be it should be there's yeah. like yeah i think anyway. it'll be good overall um yeah I would have loved, I get that they needed to up the number of spots. I know that crowding in Kona also, since we all know crowding in Kona is also a problem, I would have liked if they, instead of going from one day with like 2,400 athletes, they went to two days with 1,800 each day. I think like something like that would have been better because then you would have thinned some of the crowds and created more spots and all that kind of thing. Um, I am also nervous, Sid. I'm nervous that this is not permanent. Yes. I mean, I was... Go on, you go. Well, so they've only, Kona's only agreed to 2023. And obviously yeah. we're all like fingers crossed it goes smoothly this October. But I think we all know that that town cannot hold that many people. And we're not totally sure how it's going to it, work out. No, I mean, I think you've seen that this year, how extortionate accommodation is. Um, so it's all right how increasing the number of slots and increasing the number of athletes able to get there. But if they then can't afford to pay for flights and accommodation because it's through the roof then no one's going to turn up anyway um and i think yeah i think there's kind of a lot of uncertain look i I guess it's a little bit like st george in may everyone was Mm -hmm. like is this going to work and i think it was a fantastic success but it's it's very different when it was there in another town i think there's this uncertainty over kona and can it does does it does it does the do the locals want the two days um do people they're want probably the two split days? right they're probably yeah. split because they need tourism after two and a half years they need the money but yeah. you know it's a it's a mess shuts, that whole it week shuts yeah. the, it shuts the place down for you know double the time it's more volunteers that are needed um yeah i had my car vandalized when i was there and they let me know exactly how they felt so i was like well, oh really did you yeah. Yeah, huh, that's interesting. I mean, it just is, it? is what it is, right? You're like, yeah. Uh, yeah wow. I obviously think that there should always be an Ironman Hawaii there every year, but that yeah. the world championships should rotate around. Yeah. So. And then maybe every four years go back to yeah. Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think all, like, you talk, you ask around, and I think most of the, like, pros and industry people want that, but not yeah and i think i think having had st george 
I think it probably changed quite a few opinions of what is possible outside and that you can have a fantastic event outside of Kona. Um, I mean, I think, and it wasn't, it was, this is not my idea and it was probably from talking to you. I think, yeah, have an Ironman Hawaii and it's the world championships every four years, then rotate it between St. George because I think they have the structure and the base to have a, a world championships and they've got a different, and it's a different course and then have a location in Europe and maybe in a location in Asia pack and it rotates through those four. Now you, some people say, Oh no, it should change more than that in terms of give other places the opportunity to have a world champs. And may, maybe that's the case. I don't know. Or whether you build up history in right. one location that has that infrastructure. I mean, since um, we're just like making yeah. up things, like no, we're why not? Yeah. Things. We're making up yeah. things. It's fine. Oh, yeah, but I we, do. We, that's I your big secret, isn't it? That's where you're going to go after I'm this. I'm just going to go make this all up. <laughs> you're just going to make things up. You're going to rule triathlon. Yeah. You're going to rule the event yeah. space. I you're do think own... it's good, though, that they're adding. I mean, I know, whatever, we're not going to get into the proportionality Kona qualifying debate, but women continue to only make up like 25 to 28% of the Kona field. And that w- they were just going to be stuck in that like endless cycle forever yeah. of like, you have to come and then we'll build it. But that's not how that works, yeah. right? Usually the saying is build it. And then like you know, yeah. they were just stuck in this cycle. That they could never get out yeah, of. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I do think it's good to just go ahead. They're adding the spots. The women will, you know, maybe, and everyone's like, oh, it's not gonna be as good a quality field with so many more spots. Sure. Like maybe not at first. You gotta like, Flora Duffy wasn't like world champion at first, right? You gotta do the exactly. development. She you was in the Commonwealth Games <laughs> development <laughs> program. <laughs> she was, it was deemed to help those lesser developed nations like Bermuda and Flora Duffy. <laughs> and look at her now. There we See, go. We can all be Flora yeah. Duffy. No, we can't. Yeah. We can't. No. But no, I think but it'll yeah. be good ultimately, right? Like that's the yeah. only way you eventually get yeah and i think just like yeah giving more women that opportunity yeah Mm -hmm. i'm with you on that one so yeah all right then there you go done (laughs) done done. (laughs) tick i'm the next moving on (laughs) (laughs) i gotta tell you i so i did as an age grouper and i was doing one of those long rides where you're like out out and you have to stop at some resort to get water because there's like nothing and so there's these people there who just got off a cruise ship right and they don't know then they're all like wow so you can swim two and a half miles and i was like yeah and they're like how many women do it and i was like oh like not that many you know it's like 25 percent women 30 percent they're like why and i was like well you know they say like there need to be more women overall before there can be more women here and this guy like eating his ice cream just goes man you girls just can't catch a break and i was like thank you sir (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <You're> like, <laughs> that's brilliant yeah pretty much nailed it we're yeah. like all right got yeah. it cool mic, so. mic drop that's it yeah yeah perfect <laughs> so other than that we'll be back at the end of august by then sid you will be ready for kona Totally getting ready. there yeah. nearer no i don't don't i don't quite want to be ready at the end of august no, that might be a little bit too soon <laughs> we will have had the but collins there. cup we Which will, will have be the very Cup. exciting. Hopefully, not yeah. a super spreader event. Yes, let's Fingers see. If, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then we will be getting ready for the U.S. Open. Yes, the second of the PTO Tour events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then all of September is also Super League Championship season. It's like it is. So those short course races are going to be busy with the PTO uh, U.S. Open and Super League. It's going to be a going to be a hectic month for those speedy short course athletes. Yeah. Have you thought about going shorter and getting faster? Maybe it'd be more money. I know I did. Like I, I was again <laughs> listening to a podcast this morning and it is kind of one of those. If you're in the sport now, you really need to stick with the short distance and just get fast. 
<laughs> That's where the money is. <laughs> there you go, guys. Problem solved. Problem solved. Yeah. All right. Well, we will be back yeah. then at the probably the end of August, and uh, and we will let everyone know how things go then. We will do. Thanks, Kelly. All right. This week we're talking to the legendary, the one and only Siri Lindley. Siri, I feel like what everyone wants to know where we have to start is, what have you been up to now? Are you recovered? Are you better? Are you working on the horse farm? What are you doing these days? Well, first of all, I'm so happy to be here with you, Kelly. So thanks for having me. And I am doing amazing. Oh. I mean, I'm I'm alive. So, yes. I mean, that in itself is <laughs> the most incredible miracle I could have ever dreamed of. But I also, you know, I, I'm about two and a half years post bone marrow transplant. And I feel really like um, not only back to my old self, but better than ever before. And I think who I became through this process of overcoming this deadly disease, you know, I needed to go through that to become who I am today. And so <laughs> I am we run a horse rescue here in uh, Longmont, Colorado. We're healing humans through our equine therapy and equine assisted coaching programs. I have the ultimate honor and privilege to speak around the world for my greatest mentor, Tony Robbins, and other events kind of around the country. And I'm still coaching triathletes, which I love, but um, I just have a totally different perspective hmm. on what living life is all about. And I think the biggest gift that came out of this time is that I now live every single moment of my life on purpose. Okay. And what that means for me is if there's something that's not on purpose for me, I don't do it. <laughs> if it's on purpose, on mission, I do it. And I encourage everyone to not have to go through what I went through to kind of take that little nugget and live life that way because it is the most powerful shift I've ever experienced. And it allows me to truly be kind of living life at the highest level and feeling fulfilled in every single moment. Um, and I just feel blessed. It's the ultimate blessing. It was, you know, going through leukemia was hardest thing I've ever been through in my entire life, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, it just brought me to my knees and, mm -hmm. and brought everyone around me to my knees. Um, that being said, I think where I am now, can't believe I'm saying this, but I wouldn't change a thing. Huh. You know, uh, I know that sounds pretty yeah. crazy yeah. even for me to say it, but <laughs> I mean it like um, so many gifts and for all of us, I think the lesson is that when you're going through that really tough time, whatever it is, if you can hold on to kind of the belief and what I believe is the truth that something beautiful and amazing is going to come out of this struggle, who you become in overcoming this struggle is going to change you. And there is a gift. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, not just a light, but a gift and, um, I guess I'm living proof of that. When you say that you're living every, you know, every moment towards your mission, what do you see as your mission? These, I mean, obviously I think it's about helping people, but what is, what do you think is your mission? Helping people, healing, helping people heal, helping okay. people step into their authentic selves and live the, the lives of their dreams, uh, saving horses who in turn save humans. I mean, horses have been found to, prevent suicide in veterans with PTSD. Huh. 
uh, horses and their healing of people, whether it's a veteran with PTSD or somebody experiencing deep grief, depression, anxiety, these horses, you know, there's research everywhere about how they are healers. And so I feel initially when my wife and I started saving horses, we were saving them from slaughter. And it's the Mm -hmm. most brutal, horrific practice. It's like nothing you've ever heard of before. They're dismembered alive for human consumption. It's it's like the worst thing ever. And I, we started saving horses because I saved this horse. I know this is just audio, but you can see (laughs) over my shoulder. And she changed my life in a matter of months. But what I then realized as I went through battling leukemia is the healing power of these incredible horses. We've saved 191 from slaughter in the last five years. And when I realized their healing power and started running programs out here at the ranch, I realized that this is my mission. It's, you know, saving these horses so they can save humans, but at the same time, helping every single individual that happens to, you know, come into my world that wants my help is really helping them tackle the the things that get in the way of them living their best life, you know, having the success, the fulfillment, the joy that I believe every single one of us so deserves. Mm -hmm. And um, that's my mission. It's it's humans, it's animals, and it's being a light, being a gift, being a blessing in this world. That's, that's my mission. This this sounds simple, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we all can do it though. Like, you know, it's a matter of what are you bringing into the world? Are you bringing into the world everything that's wrong, all the problems? Is that what you're focusing on? Because that's not bringing light into the world. Let's focus on what we can be grateful for. What can we appreciate? What's right? What's good? And when you bring that kind of energy into the world, you truly are changing the world one person at a time. And we mm-hmm. all have the ability to do that. It, it takes a conscious effort of, you know, what kind of life do you want to live? Do you want to live a life that has a lot of sadness and pain and suffering? Or do you want to live a life of joy and success and fulfillment? Because the fact is it's in your hands and it comes down to, you know, what are you going to focus on? What meaning are you going to give everything that happens to you on a daily basis? And what decisions, what actions are you going to take? Um, It's all in our hands. And that's something that I've realized over the past few years is, you know, asking everyone that I come across, like, what story in life do you live? Mm -hmm. You know, are you the victim? Are you the victor? Are you you know, what story do you want to live? Because you get to go first in deciding what story in life you want to live. And just to give you an example, because I may not be <laughs> making sense, is like, you know, when I wanted to, like truly, when I did my first triathlon, right. I came dead last, it was the most incredible day of my life. Like I'd never felt so alive in my entire life. And I had this dream on that day that I wanted to be the best in the world in this sport. Now I could have told myself the story that, I didn't know how to swim at the time. I mean, I literally like just kind of walked, you know, floated the whole 800 meters in the pool. But I could have told myself the story that I don't know how to swim, so I can't do a triathlon. How many people out there, obviously people listening to this are triathletes, but how many people know people that say, I can't swim, so I can't do a triathlon. But I wasn't willing to live that story. 
So instead, you know, I was going to live the story that I was one day going to become the best in the world. <laughs> and I had to become that person that could do that. What would she do? Well, she would move out to Boulder, Colorado and, you know, get coached by Jane Scott. She would get a coach immediately. She would go in the fastest swim lane and hang on for as long as she could, regardless of people yelling at her and saying, you know, what the hell are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Like she would learn everything she needed to learn. She would like work 70 hours a week in order to, you know, fund these kinds of decisions. Like what would that future me do that can be a winner in this sport? And I role played that story mm -hmm. until I actually became it. And so we all have an opportunity every day of our lives to choose what story we want to live. Even from, I, you know, being told uh, basically, you know, when I'm being given the diagnosis, I mean, the tone of my doctor's voice and with the statistics, it was like the story I was hearing is this is the end, mm -hmm. but I wasn't willing to live that story. So I declared I'm going to survive and I'm going to thrive. Now, did I believe that? In that moment, did I believe when I said I'm going to be the best in the world in this sport? No, <laughs> I didn't believe it. I'm being told I've got this deadly disease. In that moment, I'm terrified. I'm like devastated, but I couldn't afford to live that story he was telling me. So I had to make decisions to become the person that would survive and would thrive. Mm -hmm. And am I making sense? Yeah. I mean, I think there's obviously like there's a limit on on. Well, I mean, maybe you don't, but I, yeah, I know I, th you make the choices. What's the whole, what choices would you make today if you really believed you could be a world champion, right? Like yeah. that's the whole thing, right? Yes. So, I and mean, yeah. what Boom. would you do? And I was, re I didn't realize how much you didn't know how to swim when you started until I was reading, uh, I think it was part of your book, uh, like a couple weeks ago. And yeah, you like really didn't know how to swim, did you? Like at all. So, so my mom, <laughs> my mom loves to swim and growing up, you know, she has this gorgeous head of blonde hair and it would take her like an hour to get it looking that way. So when she <laughs> swam, you know, she didn't want to get it wet and ruin her hair and have to do it again. So she did the swan. Do you know what the swan is? <laughs> the like out of the water <laughs> and this. And my first time I showed up with my friend who was going to coach me and teach me how to swim. And I'll never forget. She said, show me what you got. And I arrived a little bit early to the pool and there were all these people that had their heads under the water and their <laughs> arms were coming out of the water. And so when she, my friend arrived, you know, I'm trying to do this combo of the swan <laughs> under the water and then the arms coming over. And she looked at me and was like, you didn't tell me it was this bad. Oh, no. but it just, you know, it doesn't matter. Like we yeah. all were, were babies at some point that didn't know how to walk, right? Did we like try to walk once, fall over and give up? Like, oh, I'm never going to be a walker. No, <laughs> like you keep getting up and you keep falling over and you figure out different strategies. So eventually that little baby mm -hmm. is walking and running around. And so in my mind, I just felt like, you know, this is just like learning how to walk as a baby. I just need to be, you know, resilient and find a way, figure out how to do this. Why did you, uh, I mean, you played lots of different sports, you know, as a kid and in college and you were working, I think at the Y at the time, why did you want to learn how to swim, do a triathlon? What was it about triathlon? Well, I had gone, the same friend that kind of taught mm -hmm. me how to swim 
had invited me to come watch a triathlon. Okay. And I, I think I was kind of wanting to pre- pretend I knew what she was talking about, but I didn't even have a clue what it was. And I showed up and I was just in awe of the different types of people, okay. all different ages, all different sizes, all different abilities, but everyone that was out there doing this thing all together. And they were doing something, number one, that probably scared the crap out of them. Number two, it was challenging them to become more, to like, you know, find themselves. I felt like mm-hmm. they were finding themselves through this challenge. And at the time, you know, I was kind of on this desperate mission. I had just come out as gay. My my father at the time just shut me out of his life. And I was left in this space feeling like I, I'm worthless. Now that I'm gay, like I'm just nothing. And so I needed to take on something that felt like an extraordinary challenge that I could sink my teeth into and say this, this is going to be how I prove to myself Mm -hmm. that even as a gay woman, I can do something spectacular, you know, I can inspire others, I can make a difference and I can be loved not by another, but by myself, you know, that I can find worthiness from within. And I think that, you know, I could have gone and continued to play lacrosse or continue to play ice hockey, but I needed something that was going to show me who I really was. And that had to be something different that seemed impossible. <laughs> it seemed That's impossible. How it okay. <laughs> That's how it happened. And then you were like, I'm going to be the best in the world at this. Like, well, I didn't say that out loud. Okay. Because that would have been really embarrassing. And again, did I believe that? God, no, I sucked. I mean, I came in dead last. But for me, setting that kind of impossible goal for myself meant that I was going to do whatever it took Hmm. to at least become proficient because it was a commitment to me. And I felt like I had this deep emotional reason why I had to do this. Mm -hmm. And that was that my own worthiness from within was dependent on how I showed up for this challenge. You know, over those eight years, because it took me eight years to do it, over those eight years, you know, I started earning the respect for myself because God, I failed. I failed over and over and over and over again. But every time I stood back up, I dusted myself off, thought about what did I learn from that big failure? How can I be better? Change my approach and kept going. And, and that allowed me to earn my own respect and to kind of start appreciating my determination, my will, my desire my work ethic. And yeah, so I slowly but surely was becoming that person that hmm. maybe had hope of making this happen. But I don't think I ever believed it actually would until I crossed the line. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So when people say you have to have But there was a knowing inside of me. There was like the seed of knowing that like something extraordinary is going to come out of me Mm -hmm. committing to this goal for myself. And again, it's all about, you know, who I was becoming Mm -hmm. as a human being and what I thought about that person. But 
even if I hadn't crossed that line, I feel like I found what I was looking for along the way. But crossing the line and putting the medal around my neck was very symbolic of me being able to give myself permission to say, you're okay, Siri. Mm-hmm. You're okay. We're going to be okay in this life. You know, you're worth something to me. And you're going to be okay. And that's my journey. And, you know, when I won the world championships, I was ready to retire because I found what right. I was looking for. That's what I was going to say. Like, I mean, you spent all this time, you spent this whole, you know, and then you win the, and then you, you're like, okay, I'm done. Like, I don't know who else does that. Cause I, I, well, I found what I was, but actually okay. I stuck around for one more year because okay. we all have this inner critic in our minds. We all have it. And oftentimes I knew that my inner critic was pretty gnarly. And I started thinking that if I retired on that day, which is what I wanted to do, two, three months down the line, I would start thinking maybe it was a fluke. Hmm. Maybe I just got lucky. You know, maybe I just got lucky. Lucky I stopped, you know, in time. (laughs) And I didn't want to have to contend with that, even though, yeah, I I should have had the ability to say, well, that's ridiculous. But I didn't want to have to battle that out. So my, I decided I was going to put together one more year with the ultimate goal, being able to retire at number one in the world. And I was able to do that. It wasn't pretty, you know, I, because leading the eight years leading into winning the world championship, I was, you know, fueled by this why. Mm-hmm. And that why was very personal. It, it was like, it was felt like life or death to me. This year I put together, my last year of my career, was more of a force energy. Like, you have to do this to prove that you're the real deal. It was about proving. And that why wasn't as inspiring or fulfilling to me. So every day it was this struggle to continue Mm. training how I was, which was just brutal. I mean, like eight hours a day, (laughs) way over my head you know, get like, just, and I really mentally um, struggled a lot. I wasn't sleeping like three hours a night. And it was fitting. My last race, I came in 13th place. My best friend and training partner caught me. I like collapsed at the line. It was like so fitting for the end of how I felt at the end of that year. But I had also won like five races, World Cups that year, and I was able to retire at number one in the world. But I think there's a big difference between what's motivating you. Is it a force energy or is it a pull energy, which leads to flow? And I think that was a big difference between those last two years of my career. Okay. So that's why you were able then to be like, all right, I'm done. I want to coach. All okay. I wanted to do. Really? That was oh, like, that you really wanted, that was oh like, my God. okay. Kelly, like <laughs> when I was training with Brett Sutton and I had some of the most extraordinary training partners, I mean, Loretta Harrop, Annie Emerson, still to this date, I would call them my best friends. I always was so curious, not on a comparison level, mm-hmm. but so curious about the differences between us as athletes the differences in how Loretta had to train to be at her best, how I had to train, how Annie had to train. 
all the other athletes, you know, the Ironman athletes, how were they mm -hmm. training? What were they doing? I had this thirst and this hunger to learn about, you know, how each person uniquely went about becoming the best athlete they could be. And then I had this desire to want to take someone like me that like was like, I'm terrible at this sport, but God, I want to do it so bad, you know, to, to like embarrassingly so. And because I was living proof that it's possible. Mm -hmm. And yeah. one of my, you know, I had a, a, right off the bat, you know, I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it the way that worked best for me. And that was having the squad, okay. you know, coach on deck every single day, every hour of the day. And that's how I did it. And I was From just the like 24 seven with my squad and I loved it. And we had some amazing results. And at first I was, I'll never forget for like the first couple of months, I was like kind of training like Brett, like coaching okay. like Brett. And then I had to catch myself and I'm like, this doesn't feel right. And so I don't feel like you guys have the same personality. No, we don't. no. <laughs> we don't at all. And so for the first couple of months, like I'm kind of like doing it that way. And then I'm like, wait a second, step back. Like there are some things that I know worked with uh -huh. Brett. But there are a lot of things where I was thinking, no way, I will never do that. And which I didn't do at any point, but like, I need to trust, like I, yes, with his guidance, I won a world championship, but it was me for those eight years that you know, was becoming that person. And I thought, you know, what things do I want to take away from how he coached me and how he coached his squad? And what things do I want to bring into this? Mm -hmm. And so my style became one where, because I think the biggest thing that I got from Brett is that he every single day gave me tasks that seemed impossible. Okay. And he gave me no choice to just get it done or you can go home, fly home, take the next plane. So in that, you know, every day he's giving me something that seems impossible. But every day I just did the best that I could with what I had and tried to find a way. And I proved to myself that what seems impossible is really possible. That's the greatest gift he gave me. Okay. Is this knowing that we are so much more powerful than you could ever imagine. So I wanted to bring that into my coaching. And that meant, you know, giving some epic sessions to my athletes and, you know, showing up with absolute certainty that they can get it done. They just have to find a way. But what I brought in is I am a big, you know, Brett Sutton didn't believe in love. And he used to say, cause I missed my mom and I wanted my mom to come travel with me and come hang out at training camp. And he always said, love makes you weak. Didn't want <laughs> me to have my friends, didn't want me to have my mom around. But I snuck her in. She would stay for weeks at a time. She flew to every single World Cup race with me. And I knew that without that, I probably wouldn't have won all those races because I need love. Like I'm someone that thrives on love. So, you know, I'm a very loving coach. I care about my athletes. You know, who they are as a human being is way more important to me than the results they get, how fast they swim, bike, and run. And I encourage that. And I encourage, you know, I'm a 
authentic and vulnerable leader. You mm-hmm. know, if you came to me and wanted me to coach you, I don't want to sit here and pretend that, yeah, I just, you know, didn't know how to swim and became a world champion, just worked hard and hey, it happened. Like, that's not my story. Because I know that you as my athlete are going to experience doubt. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a lot of fear. You're going to have pre-race anxiety. You're going to have pre-workout anxiety. Like, I needed them to know that like, hey, I've been through it all. I've suffered deeply. I've had debilitating anxiety and fear. And that's okay because that's human. But this is how we're going to deal with it. I can share with you how I overcame those things and now we can overcome it together. So even as like a parent, like if a parent never talks about the struggles they had, then when their child suddenly is faced with conflict or struggle, they think, well, God, I must not be, you know, Hmm. something's wrong with me because dad and mom, they didn't struggle at all. And they became great. And they're these amazing (laughs) people, but they never had to overcome anything. And here I'm having all these things I have to overcome. Something's wrong with me. So that's a big difference. Um, okay. The authenticity, the vulnerability, the love. But I think my standards are as high as Brett's are, mm-hmm. meaning what I demand from my athletes as far as commitment, you know, as far as, hey, if you've chosen me as your coach, then I want you to go all in and never look back. This is how I do everything in my life. Even my treatment for AML, it's like once I made the decision of how I was going to treat this, I was all in. I didn't listen to anyone else telling me other things I should be doing. And that I demand too, because I feel like a lot of athletes, and if you do this, I want you to think about how this may be holding you back. You know, you've got a plan from your coach, but then this person says you should be doing this thing, you know, once or twice a week. And this person says, yeah, well, instead of doing the taper, your coach says you should do this, try this instead. <laughs> you know, what's the saying, you know, a dog chasing two rabbits catches none. Like right, right, that right. laser focus, that all in commitment is absolutely necessary. Like, I don't care who you get to be your coach. But whoever it is, believe in them 1 million percent, believe in the plan, trust the plan, go all in, and you will succeed. But if you're trying to listen to five different people, you're holding yourself back. You're going to fall short. If you're scrolling Instagram and thinking you could be better. Exactly. How big a squad do you have? I mean, are you still running a squad out of Boulder? I know you had to put it on pause kind of during uh, all your treatments. Yeah, so I put it on pause during that. And Mm -hmm. then I realized, you know, I did that for 20 years and Mm -hmm. I loved it. It was like, I mean, my passion for coaching still is as strong as it was then. But I also have so many other things in my life that really matter Mm -hmm. to me. And so standing on deck, you know, all day would limit me from the impact I can have in the world around me that, you know, the stuff that really matters to me um, along with the coaching. So I started just, I was coaching, obviously in making that decision, my squad got a lot smaller (laughs) because most athletes at that level want to train with, you know, big groups of people. But um, what I do now is just one on one on one. We'll get together maybe for, you know, one day a week or mm-hmm. two days a week, um, but constant contact, um, Zoom calls where we speak about mindset and the program and stuff like that. And, you know, I feel like 
I mean, last year, uh, Ellie Salthouse won eight mm-hmm. out of nine races. So it right. hurt, you know, hasn't hurt my results or our results together. Um, I don't coach her anymore. We just stopped working together this oh, year. Really? But, um, you know, it's all about whether you're in person or not. Um, I am so deeply committed to my athletes and mm-hmm. their experience in the sport, but also them achieving the goals that they came to me to help them with. And, you know, their dreams are my dreams. Once they come to me, their dreams are my dreams. And it's an absolute privilege. And as long as I give my heart and my soul, whether I'm in person or not, we're going to get the results that we're looking for. Um, And that's what matters most. So the ones that are still with me or have just joined me, um, yeah, super excited. And whenever I am around, we we, uh, do sessions together. But the uh, the expectation is no longer there of me being there every single day. Right, right, right. I know you spent, obviously, I mean, you've t- even said, like, a lot of time on the kind of the mental aspect and, and being their authentic self, like you said. And you and I talked last year, year before that, when Daniela kind of came out and talked about her uh, sexuality and being her... At the time, I remember you telling me that she was going to be more powerful than ever. What is it about being your authentic self, as you call it, like that makes somebody... Oh, man. I mean, I, I, that just gave me goosebumps because I remember that conversation we had yeah. and I thought it just, it's going to liberate her. It's going to free hmm. her. And if you think about this, you know, if you're not showing up authentically, you're leaving parts of yourself on the bench. And that means that you're showing up half strength, three quarters strength. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of this weight, this this heaviness, this bird. If to me, it's like this energetic weight that you're carrying, holding that piece of you back. And what I have, you know, experienced over my 25 years of coaching, whether it be with athletes or just you know people in life coaching, the moment people accept and embrace and show up in their full authentic selves. That's when all the magic is created. And a lot of people like, you know, may think, Oh, well, I'm already successful. Right. I'm already successful. And and I've been, you know, people don't know about me. It's like, great. Well, let me just tell you that when you're ready to be all of who you are, what you achieve is going to be beyond anything you could have ever dreamed of. It's just a fact. I mean, we are meant here. I believe that our lives are about coming home to the truth of who we are. And the moment you step into your authenticity, you can fire on all cylinders in whatever it is that you're doing in your life. Until you reach that place, it doesn't mean that you won't be successful, but it means that you could be so much more. What does it mean to be your... I mean, obviously, when we talk about, like, you know, if you're keeping a part of who you are, you know, like, like you coming out as gay or, or, or trans or whatever, right? Like I get what, but for people who, who, you know, don't have something like, what does it mean to be your authentic self? What does that in owning yourself, okay. owning yourself, what matters most to you in your life? And are you living in alignment mm-hmm. with what matters most to you? Or are you with someone that you're with because they have a certain job and your parents always <laughs> wanted you to marry a doctor? Okay. Or are like, so for example, like if my, what matters most to me in my, in my life, my top values are health, love, contribution. If mm-hmm. I was living my life, you know, 
drinking beer and getting wasted every night. Um, like in a relationship where someone was like really cruel to me. What was the third one? And contribution and like sitting and just like hoarding things and never helping anyone like that would not, that would, I'm not living authentically if that's mm -hmm. how I'm living my life. But how I live my life right now, this is me. Like I am living true to my top values. Everything that I do every day has the number one focus of health, love, and contribution. And so living authentically is owning every aspect of who you are, not just sexuality or however, not just that. I'm talking about like if you're a loving person, but you hang out with people that bag everyone around mm -hmm. them and you bag everyone around you because that's what your friends do, you're not living authentically. Be you. What matters to you? Are you speaking your truth? Are you standing up for what matters to you? Are you living true to the things that bring you joy, that make you feel alive? Are you living true? Like, I mean, this is going to sound a little bit like morbid, but like when I was like holding on for dear life, I had three questions that I realized were going to matter most to me. Did I live life fully? Did I love with all my heart? Meaning like, did I ever hold back from like telling the people I love that I love them? And did I matter? Did I make a difference in this world somehow? And at the time I felt like, yeah, I did these things, but not at the level that I really want. Okay. And that's what led to me living on purpose and living like truly authentic in every single moment is because at the end of my days, I want to answer those questions in the affirmative. I lived fully with all my heart. I <laughs> loved with all my heart. I never held back. I just gave love and showed love and was love in this world. And man, I made a difference in so many people and animals' lives. I made a difference. That's what matters most to me. That's authentic to me. So ask yourself the question at the end of your days, what's mm -hmm. going to matter most to you? Is it the number of races you won or how much money you made <laughs> or how many Instagram followers you had? Like, seriously, I know it's like, like probably not, yeah. you laugh, but like, think about it. Is that really right? Is that it? Because I'm telling you right now, no, that's not what you're going to be thinking of. So right now, ask yourself, what does matter most to you? What makes you feel most alive? Are you doing those things every single day? Because if you are, you're living authentically. But if you're not, I encourage you, I urge you to try every single day to just be a little bit more true to you. And that's not just to open up, you know, the ceiling to what you're capable of in your life. It's so that you can experience more joy, more peace, more fulfillment in your life and have a deeper connection to you, which then leads to much deeper connections to everyone in your life that you love and care about. I feel like this is just like a whole, like, is we're getting like Siri coaching, like right here. Uh, like. <laughs> what I mean, I hope people want it. So if you don't, you can turn it off. But man, these are the things that changed my life and change the lives of, you know, the people around me as far as the depth of 
you know, fulfillment that we all feel in our lives. And I say that not because life is so amazing. Like, man, we deal with a lot of shit. Mm -hmm. Everyone does, you know, Mm -hmm. with light, there's darkness, with pain, with joy, there's pain. But I choose not to suffer. And I choose to find joy, find the gift in every moment, find something to be grateful for. As much as you can think about all day long, what's wrong, what's missing, you know, worrying about the things you have no control over, what are all the problems? I choose to look at what I have, you know, what's right, what I love, what I'm creating and and what I have all the control over, which is my own experience of life and what I know is that when I live life authentically and in alignment with my values and what matters most, I am living my life fully. And that to me at the end of my days is gonna really matter. Hopefully, and that's like 55 years from now. Right, in a long time, yeah. Yeah. Just and so what is, <laughs> just to be clear. And so what is kind of, uh, I mean, We've talked about what you're doing now, but what is sort of in the future then for you? Um, it seems like triathlon's still going to play a part. I know I, I saw you at Worlds and everything. Uh, your horse ranch, obviously you're you're speaking. What else? Uh, what's kind of in the the works so for series? So triathlon wise, I'm super excited about the three athletes I coach right now. Um, big goals, big dreams with mm-hmm. them, and just really excited to witness their journeys. And um, I just feel like it's going to be the most incredible journey together uh, with all three of them. Um, With the Horse Rescue, we continue to build our programs for veterans, for people with anxiety, for people, you know, being faced with a diagnosis, whatever it is, like the horses are just uh, changing lives. And my wife and I are actually in the process of trying to ban horse slaughter altogether. And You know, when we started doing this, we got laughed at, like, same thing as kind of when I started triathlon, like people are like, you've only had horses for five years, like you think you're going to ban slaughter, like what a joke, and we got laughed at. But we in the last three years have gotten our bill, which is called the SAFE Act, further than it's ever gone in 20 years, it's now currently sitting in the House Energy and Commerce Committee, it's been marked up once, it needs to be marked up again. And we've been talking to senators from both parties all around the country, um, Congress people from all around the country, like we are seriously doing the work, we're boots on the ground. And we hope that we're going to ban horse slaughter this year. Um, So that's very, very important to us because, again, these horses are healers. Um, They're needed. No child of God should be, like, treated the way that they are um, as far as when they're slaughtered and the road to slaughter. But um, this really matters to me. And speaking around the world, you know, for my greatest mentor, it's a mission that just matters so much to me because his events and the sharing that I get to do, not only for him, but around the country for my speaking company, you know, I can see how it's really having an impact. And that humbles me because, you know, I just, I never wanted to be a public speaker. Like I didn't have, it wasn't in my book, like of things I wanted to achieve in my life. And 
I was actually a mute when I was a kid. Like I didn't even talk. Oh, really? So I like, can't even imagine that. Oh my yeah. God. Like terrified. So, huh. and just to touch on this, like Tony Robbins one day had a speaker that couldn't speak at one of his events and he asked me to do it. And you don't say no to Tony Robbins, you know? And I just was like terrified, had planned my speech for like three days, got up there, did nothing of what I had written down on paper. <laughs> just spoke from my heart and my story and what I've learned. And um, I guess it had a big impact and I haven't stopped speaking for him since, but I feel really blessed and humbled and privileged to have the opportunity. And um, I thank you for the opportunity today to, to be on this. And, um, you know, we all learn stuff in life so we can share it, right? And uh -huh. I believe that a lot of the struggles that I've overcome happened just so I could figure out how to find a way through them and beyond them and then be able to share that with others. I, I truly feel like that's why I'm still here today. And um, I feel super blessed to have the opportunity to share. I hope it helps. So that's, that's what's in the plan. More sharing, more. Are we going to have another book from you? It's coming out. Yes. Okay. So it's on its way right now. Good. The title is Finding a Way, uh, Taking the Impossible and Making it Possible. And um, it should be out early 2023. So I finished writing it. It's now in the editor's hands and um, kind of in the final stages. And uh it's funny. I'll tell you just a little story because my, I was meant to go to Australia with my wife. Like I missed my right, family. It's yeah. been three years and I'm all packed up and I get to the airport and it's been so long that I forgot my visa. And they <laughs> sent me home and I was devastated. I'm crying. And that night I'm like, okay, Siri, well, this happened for a reason. So what good is going to come out of this? Let's just start writing your book. So I'm all alone at the ranch with my 30 horses had canceled all my work. So I had all this time and I literally wrote the book in two weeks. Huh. Which is like, I don't even know how. It's super. Like, yeah. I it's crazy. Back, yeah. I'll show you right here. Here it is. This is for your eyes. <laughs> it's a folder. And I look at this and I'm like, how did I do that? But this is what is kind of an example. And you all do this in your life. I know you do. When something just flows, it is meant to be. Mm -hmm. And this book is meant to be, and somehow I got it done. And it's not like I handed my editors a mess, like they're actually quite happy right, with it. Right. But um, follow that feeling, follow that flow, because when it, anything flows in your life, man, capture that moment and go with it and believe in it, because that's when you create the greatest magic in your life. Just trust it. Don't question it. And so it ended up being a blessing in disguise. I feel like that's what you keep saying. Yeah. It ended up, there you go. <laughs> right. Has anything, and I'm just curious, has anything not turned out to be a blessing in disguise? Nothing. Uh, and there's been a lot. Yeah. I mean, like we all have struggles in our lives. Right? Yeah. And, and in my book, this book, you know, it's very much kind of a self-help book, but there's also a lot of, you know, sharing my story and leaving nothing out and, because I think everybody can relate to these struggles. You know, I know they'll be able to see themselves in me. And it's just my philosophy. This is how I live. I reframe everything so that it empowers me. 
I reframe everything so that it gives me strength and, and helps me to feel good, not bad. Mm-hmm. Because if we look back at the bad stuff in our lives and just dwell on how awful it was, it kind of gives us an excuse as to why we're not as successful as we want to be or why we haven't found that deep loving relationship. It's because that happened. Right. And for me, I think blame leads you to, it disempowers you because you have an excuse. And the moment you can release the blame and forgive, maybe it's someone that has hurt you, but forgive them. The minute you do that, you set yourself free. You empower yourself to actually live the life that you dream of living. And so, yes, I think every tough thing that has happened, happened for a reason. It made me who I am today. And I feel feel proud of who I am today. I'm happy with who I am today. And I wouldn't be this person if I hadn't gone through that stuff. So, yeah. yeah. No, it's amazing. I mean, I think uh, everyone would agree, you know, you've helped a lot, you help a lot of people and- And so do you. So and do you. a lot. I'm no different <laughs> to every single one of you listening to this podcast. I am no different, but we all get to choose. You get to go mm-hmm. first in deciding what kind of life you want to live. I don't want to, you know, when I was in college, I was living my life and it was becoming a tragedy Hmm. until I thought I don't want to live a tragic story. I don't want to be a victim the rest of my life. But it took me acknowledging that. It took me recognizing that. And it took me saying no more. From now on, I'm going to start living this. I'm going to create a masterpiece. I'm going to create a triumph, a story of triumph. I'm going to be the hero of my own story. And you show up differently when you Mm -hmm. do that. So set yourself up for the best life that you so deserve just by backing yourself and deciding that that's the life you want to live. No one else is going to do it for you. And the universe isn't shaping you. It's your thoughts. It's your focus. It's your meaning that's shaping every single experience that you have in your life. So start backing yourself and champion your own self in your own life. Be your own hero. And you'll see everything changes in the most magnificent ways. Well, I feel like that's a good spot to end it. I have no other no other insight to offer. So, <laughs> Kelly, thank you so much. I just... Uh, yeah, I so enjoyed speaking to you. I hope that this will serve people listening um, and that you all get something out of this. And, you know, if anyone has any comments or questions, please, you know, tag me or post me. I'd love to continue the conversation. So that's what I'm here to do. Great. Well, thank you so much for talking to us and and good luck with, you know, I feel like luck's not even the right word. Have fun with everything that comes. You too. And thank you so (laughs) much, Kelly. I so appreciate you and all the great work you do um, for our sport that we all love so, so much. Thanks to Sid and to Siri and thanks to all of you. Keep training and keep listening.